Hey, and welcome back to Tell Me About It. Or if you're here for the first time, welcome. I'm so happy you're here. Tell Me About It is the place where we can get all of our insecurities, shame, our most epic face plants, failures, mishaps, anxieties, and rejections out in the open in the hopes that we can make each other feel a little less alone by reminding each other that even the women we admire most in this world also have lives that are far from perfect. I'm Jade Iovine, and I am just so damn happy you're here because we have a really special episode for you. So we talk a lot about negative self-talk on this show, and it's something that I've been thinking a lot about both in therapy and just in general, that I just want to gain control of my self-talk. So the other day I got in the car and I, you know, just by habit started listing all the things that I'd fucked up that day or all the things that I didn't get done and all the ways that I'm inadequate in some way. And I was like, holy shit, I probably do this every day. Like I probably just get in my car every day. I mean, obviously like those days where the sun is shining and the birds are chirping, that's wonderful. But I just have this habit of like talking negatively to myself and like picking myself apart right when I get in the car after work. So I was like, okay, this is clearly a habit. And I just, for some reason, by divine intervention, I guess, the other day I just said, no, no, no. No, I just said, no, we're not going to do that today. Like, we are not going to give ourselves this insane shame shower. We are just going to shift to the next thought. And by the way, it took like five or six more times of me saying no to actually get my brain to listen and to think about something else. But it felt so good to actually just be able to control it because I often think of my negative self-talk as like another person living in my brain that I can't control. But just in the car in that moment... I just said, nope, we're not doing this today. And that felt really good because it felt like I'm starting to actually find the muscle to start controlling and wrangle my negative self-talk and just be able to live. So if you're standing in front of the mirror and you feel yourself start to go down that road or you get in the car right after work and you start to feel yourself do it, just try, as I've been trying, to just say, nope, 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 nope. And however many times you have to say no, to get your brain to understand that we're going down a different road and just try to think about something different. You don't have to say all these affirmations about yourself and we'll get there maybe one day, but just try to say no and choose the next thought. So if you try it, leave me a voicemail or a text message and I'll respond. Contrary to what happens in my normal life where I never respond, I will respond and we can talk about it because I just think we're onto something here. Like if we just stop ourselves at least once a day, then maybe we can stop ourselves twice a day. And it just gets a little easier and you have more brain space to think about other shit. So let's just give it a whirl and see how it goes. So today you're gonna hear a conversation I had with Moj Madara, who's a woman I admire very much and who I've known for about like six-ish years now. One thing you have to know about Moj is she is a total badass. She really doesn't quit and can go toe-to-toe with the best of them. But in this conversation, as with a lot of the conversations we have on this show, you're going to hear a side of Moj that you have not before. A softer side, a side that shows her wounds and how far she's come in the past year and the shame and trauma that she had to overcome. Moj and I talked about confusing ambition with self-loathing and holding the majority of your self-worth in your career, which is something I think we all can relate to in some capacity. What it feels like to try to be something you're not. We talked a lot about forgiveness And Mo shares how hard her coming out really was and the process of emancipating from her parents at 16 and reconciling with them years later when she and her wife, Roya, had their son, Neve. 
So we talked a lot about Roya and their son, Neve, and even their dog, all of whom you're probably gonna hear more than once in the background of this episode. Moj is an entrepreneur and CEO. As a CEO of BeautyCon, a global community of content creators, celebrities, fans, and brands celebrating all things fashion, beauty, and style, Moj is an expert in the trends behind the wellness and beauty fields. An accomplished speaker, business figure, and an active investor with international recognition, she has been named to Fast Company's Most Creative People list, The Hollywood Reporter's Top 25 Most Powerful Digital Players, Women's Wear Daily's Digital Power Posse, and Variety's Digital Entertainment Execs to Watch. Moj taught me a lot in this episode and shows me what a real gift this past year has been in terms of self-reflection. Let's be real, rarely does anyone escape childhood unscathed, but it's what we do with that trauma or those issues that determine our future. We're never finished doing the work, much to my chagrin, but it's nice to know that even women as self-assured as Moj are knee-deep in it too. And now I won't make you wait any longer. Here is Moj. Ready. Okay. Hello, Moj. How are you? Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so excited to see you finally. I, I saw your um, episode with Bose, so I was oh, like, hmm, "You did, yeah." <laughs> You're like, "I wonder I was, when she's gonna ask." No, I was like, "No, no." I was, I was, well, kind of actually. Yeah. I was like, I was like, I hope she asked me. <laughs> oh my god, no! You've been on my list forever. If you only knew. And then I was like, "Ooh, I'm proud of her because she's like actually doing it." Thank you. Yes, I've been talking about it forever. So like, and you've known that. So like for you to finally see that I'm doing it, I'm I'm really excited. It takes a lot to do it. Yeah, a lot more than I thought, you know? I mean, you know, you know that I know how to turn an interview into your interview, right? I know. God, I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I'm I like, James. <laughs> I truly was going to say before we started, like, feel free to ask me any questions. Oh, back. I'm gonna. Oh, Jesus. Okay. But now I'm like shaken. Okay. Um, but I want to talk to you about quarantine first. So yep. you've been just quarantined in L- like in LA with Roya and Neve, right? Yeah, it's been a full year of quarantine. Can you believe that? It's so crazy. This weekend, I texted a couple of my colleagues and friends because on March, whatever it was, 11th, I'd been like, uh, I guess we'll take like two weeks off, but yeah. like, I'm still going to go to the office. Yeah. No, I read my text from like that time, <laughs> how naive I was. Like I was like making plans for, like, oh my God, can you imagine this lasted a month? And here we are a year later. But what are some of the ways like that you've changed in quarantine? Like for me, I feel like I've changed a lot in this year. This year pretty much imploded all of that, right? Yeah. I yeah. felt a little bit like, like all of those friends that you have who are like, on tour and a roadie or like a guitar attack or they're in a band and then like you you're like oh what would that what would that be like to come home like I felt like that person a little bit like all of a sudden like my wife like Roya and Neva like like who's she (laughs) who's this like first of all Neve was giving me like no respect like yeah (laughs) like zero he was like I don't even Neve is three Neve is three. He's like fully verbal. And he's definitely like, like he would just tell me like, Moj, go talk on the phone. Literally. (laughs) For the first six months of COVID. (laughs) Like, please excuse yourself. Totally. Which was, I mean, I think the first three to six months were pretty much candidly terrible. Yeah. Terrible. Terrible. Like just mental breakdown, like every level of paranoia, you know, like, because the boxes are coming, you're like spraying them down with Windex or... 
Like anything you can get. Yes. And the weather here it was like gloomy. Like it was just a weird time. It felt very apocalyptic. It was apocalyptic. You're like, do I need to buy a gun? Yeah. Should we hire security? <laughs> For real. It was, um, should we move to Canada? Yes. What if Trump's elected president? Then we definitely need to move to Canada. <laughs> right? Like it was yeah. just hysteria. Um, and also just like my life was kind of imploding as I knew it. Like my entire career in life that I'd like built up to do all these things was like basically just kind of like millions of millions and millions of people across the world. Yeah. Like your business is upside down. Your finances are upside down. Your mental health is upside down. You're eating like we're going to all die tomorrow. So like you're just eating pizza every day. Yes. I'm like, were you in my house? Yes. (laughs) And and I think we all like kind of fell into like a depression, right? For sure. For sure. So therapy happened. Lots of therapy. Did you just start therapy or is that has that always been a part of your life? I want to say I'd always dabbled in therapy mm-hmm. a little bit here and there. Yeah. And like, I think different points in my life, I had been more serious about it than others. But I think between my friend Charlemagne mm-hmm. and then our mutual friend, Larry, mm-hmm. you know, at some point in the years past, it said like, oh, you should consider therapy. And I was like, yeah, I should. But like getting to an appointment and yeah, the time and the consistency and then all of a sudden, like the virtualness of it all open that opportunity up so totally yeah are you liking it or is it hard I mean it's probably no I mean it's I think it was initially very difficult Mm -hmm. and now it's it's like transformational yeah Yeah. it's given me space to deal with a ton of stuff yeah like I feel like that's what quarantine like it, it was the pause button we all needed and like the virtual you're right like that probably makes a lot of people much more able to start therapy I could never drive to like an office and yeah Cause it was like 30 minutes to get there and 30 minutes to get back. And I could never, ever, ever justify the time. Right. That makes sense. I wouldn't do it. So getting off the road has been intense, you know? Yeah. And like just having to sit alone, like with your thoughts and your demons and your, you know, your past that you haven't worked out. And then like, it's, I feel like a lot of people have had that year, you know, like a starting therapy or, you know, like just having their lives turned upside down. Waking up meditation. Yeah. Praying. So you're on a good kick, Moj. You're like really taking care of yourself. I think so. It's years of not taking care of yourself, right? Caught up. And like, I think that's kind of what COVID gave us, right? It's a big reset. And also Mm -hmm. you're watching like the entire world like go through anguish. Yeah. I mean, it's painful watching so much pain. So yeah. I feel like this year has been an exercise in human emotion. Mm-hmm. Big time, for better or for worse. For someone who has really tried to avoid yes. that <laughs> yes. by being by being busy. Right. And and preoccupied, it was really like really human. It was like humane. It was like a humane kind of year. It is. It is. So I was thinking about it. I love your name so much. What does it mean? Moj means wave. Oh, I love that so much. It's so beautiful. You're so sweet. I love you're so, that. You're such a sweet person. I love Thank that about you. you. Thank you so yeah. much. You're the best. You're the you're best. Such a, you're such a sweet. You like, you have that real soul vibe. Thank you. Thank you. I've liked you from the moment I met you. I was like, this woman is like, I know Same. she's my type of person. Same. We just clicked. But so I, I know a lot about you now, but I don't know a lot about like your 20s or like, you know, how you yep. how you got here. 
Can you kind of tell me about that decade of your life and more specifically, like, who were you at 25? So I, by 25, I was, I'd moved to Los Angeles. I'd moved here from Orange County. I was born in Lexington, Kentucky, raised in Erie, Pennsylvania, and then lived in Orange County from 14 to like 20. Okay. And then moved to L.A. when I was like 20, 21. Was that always like a goal of yours? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You knew like you wanted to be like you wanted to be in the music industry first, right? I wanted to be in the music industry. In my head, I was like, how can I, you know, like whether it's like a producer, a manager, mm-hmm. work at a label. Like I I love music. Like I was definitely that kid that like stood in line, snuck in shows, called the radio station to win tickets, mm-hmm. bought vinyl. Yeah, I just loved music. I loved the concept of music. So my 20s were just a lot of trying to figure out how to like nudge my way into that industry and could I find a way and what would be the way and just trying to understand the politics of it all. Which there are a lot. Yes. Yes. But like who who are you as a person? You know, like how are you different? How are you like how are you different then versus now? People would always say that I had a lot of moxie. Like that was like a consistent comment. And what do you think they meant by that? Yeah, I guess it's like a lot of uh, gall meets confidence or something like that. Okay. Yeah. I don't know what I really was in my 20s. Like when I think about my 20s now, I, I, I see like a very pained and like complicated individual. Mm-hmm. My 20s were very like, because I was estranged from my family, wasn't really talking to my family. You know, I didn't really have any money. I didn't go to college. You know, I did all the things that you do when you're trying to figure out who you are. Drink too much and like all the other things. Yep. Um, And so I think I was sort of somewhat impressionable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I really wanted to fit in. I think I was had a lot of anxiety around sort of like could a queer woman like, what could a queer woman have? Like, what right. what could a queer woman of color be? I couldn't mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine my life, if that makes any sense. That makes total sense. But there was also, like, another voice in my head that, like, had, like, a real kind of maybe arrogance about me. Yeah. Or, like, I felt like I was justified to have a shot somehow. Thank God. Yeah. Like, I couldn't find my people, if that makes any mm-hmm. sense. That makes total sense. So were you kind of, like... Like, did you date people at that time or were you just kind of like on this solo mission of like making it? Oh, I was like on a solo mission. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I definitely had, you know, I had people that I was with, but I was I was really intent on being, you know, successful, like Mm -hmm. what whatever that means, you know? Yeah, I was in a ton of emotional pain and Mm -hmm. like confused, but but also kind of committed to like get through that I think I knew early on that like my life was gonna be hard Mm -hmm. yeah like I knew I wasn't gonna be one of those people that like had like I had an idea and then it kind of worked out and I'm like a gajillionaire when I'm like 20 like it sounds so nice for those people (laughs) I think art and music and culture kept me honest Mm -hmm. and kept me real and kept me passionate and kept me 
pushing for more empathy, probably. Yeah, that's really, that's really, really interesting. That's like insightful, like looking back, because it sounds like you probably had to harden yourself because everyone was telling you, you know, you don't fit, you know, your family felt a certain way and you were kind of alone. So like, I was going to ask you, like, how did you maintain that softness, that empathy? And like through art makes a lot of sense. I think being a part of the creative process gave me access to like what you could do when your pain becomes purpose. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. And so I knew in my life that like kind of my pain would become my purpose. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate a little more on that? The like my access to greatness and the things that I was meant to do in my life were going to be like an outcome of having experienced a lot of feelings, because I think then it's like, you know, like there weren't a lot of gay people very out and like Susie Orman maybe was the only one. And yeah, like Ellen wasn't really even a thing at that point. And right. I don't know. I can't even really remember anyone else. Yeah. So, so like, I couldn't imagine like a female butch queer boss of something in music. Like that just sounded, it sounds not even possible today, much less then. Right. Right. But you knew you were kind of going to be the first to do whatever you were going to do. I think so. Like I knew I was going to be an outlier. So I was like, well, I better be like really fucking good at whatever I'm doing. Yes. (laughs) And and you did. I think so. Yeah, I've worked. I think I've worked really hard to, you know, be good at. I became super consumed with digital at a very Mm. young age. I knew Mm -hmm. that like I could become great at understanding content and digital and digital audiences and communities and IP and yeah, that maybe if I couldn't get into like certain arenas that I could create and be involved heavily in like others. And so right. the internet has always been attractive because I think the internet allows a lot of people to like create themselves, you know? Definitely. As we're seeing. Yeah. yeah de- more yeah. and more. So were there any like rejections or mistakes that really st- stand out from that decade that like formed you or maybe like knocked you on your ass at first, but then was a oh, lesson? God. I mean, <laughs> all of them. I mean, I-, I couldn't get a shot within traditional arenas to like save my life. Like I couldn't, I couldn't get into the like conferences that I wanted to go to. I couldn't get um, meetings with people that I wanted to meet yeah. with. What do you attribute that to? The reason I couldn't? Yeah. Oh, I. I mean, I was like nobody, right? Like I wasn't. I wasn't someone's cousin. Right. So hard. I I wasn't, I didn't grow up here. So I didn't know anyone from like, you know, LA, LA, New York can be very clicky. Yes. That's why I wanted to ask you, because I feel for all the people that come here and like, don't know people and don't have connections in that way. It can be really hard. Yeah. I think it's really clicky. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to be like this quasi marketing brand digital person in Silver Lake mm-hmm. and Echo Park and I'm gonna do cool shit and eventually that will move the needle. I don't know. I just you just knew like something in you always inherently kind of knew. Like the older I think the older people sort of within the industry were always like this stuff that you talk about in digital is really cool. Like you should you should do more of that and 
you know, like I kind of like looked for like the stars and where they aligned to see like where there could be a potential path, but I couldn't see any women and I definitely couldn't see any women of color. Mm -hmm. So that was, I think by far, like that was the most complicated piece of it all Mm -hmm. was just, you know, that whole concept of like, you know, to create representation through seeing yourself like that, that I think, you know, you couldn't. So I I don't know. You, you just do it anyways. Right. This might be a silly question, but you know, how do you explain that feeling to someone that might not understand it? Like not being able to see yourself in the role because you've never seen anyone like you do it before. Like, did you think you were wrong or did you think the system was wrong? I think I always knew the system was wrong, but that's because I had read a lot about history and I knew that that people had felt this way before, whether it was like how it was expressed in like Milan Kundera's books Mm -hmm. or whether it was so much, whether it's Jack Kerouac or Henry Miller, like people had felt other, many people have, I mean, many, 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 many people have expressed themselves through music and art as feeling other. Um, Mm -hmm. And most of the greatest sort of lessons in history, you know, whether it's how Black people were treated in this country, how women have felt, you know, throughout history, what civil rights movement has been around gender or sexuality or, mm-hmm. you know, um, racial inclusion, financial inclusion. So like, I knew that like, in general, like I was kind of in this bucket of people that felt like this system sucks and it's not for us. Right. So, yeah. So it's basically, yeah, you knew that it was the system that was broken inherently. Um, yeah. but did you ever like really struggle with, I mean, I, I think everyone in their twenties struggles with this in some capacity, but like knowing who you are, like, or did you always have a kind of a strong sense of self? I I was, you know, I'm the oldest of three. My parents are immigrants, but my grandma is in large part someone who really raised me and kind of was like the only quote unquote nanny we ever had. But my grandmother was like a really spiritual person. She was a godly person. And she kind of told me early on that I was different. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, she kind of preemptively gave me the, like, you know, you're gonna, you know, the world, like, you're gonna have a hard time, Mm -hmm. but, but she filled me. I think they say like, from a psychological point of view, like you kind of only need one person to see you and love you for you to not be like, kind of a, to have that sense of self. Yeah. And so she was like that person for me. She was the person that said, you know, she would say, like, do you sometimes feel like a boy or like, mm. do you feel like a girl or, mm-hmm. you know, like what what do you you know, how do you feel like no one had ever asked me like how I felt, you know. And so she gave me that sense of like. Love, mm-hmm. uh, like I, I under, like when I think of love, I think of her. Wow. And I think about how she cared for me. And so I think it's that that like that feeling inside of a person gives mm-hmm. you that confidence. Yeah. And that sense of like belonging to something. But I also knew Jade that like, if I didn't have that, like that, that's that people would eat me alive. Right. Right. You know, because this town and most industries feast on the week. No kidding. No kidding. Right. Yes. And so I knew that if I didn't like sort of posture it, that I would be like ringing the bells of like, feeding frenzy 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like dinner. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So like you, you had to rely so much on yourself. I think so. I think because it's like when you're nobody, people act themselves around you and mm. you can see the true nature of who they are. Yes. And that was a bit terrifying, I have to say. I was very like... But you still know those people and you're like, you're a nasty individual. Isn't that the worst though? When you see someone, you're like, oh, you're succeeding and you're so nasty. You know, (laughs) I mean, you, you've probably seen that up front, you know, like, I mean, think of all the folks you've seen, like, oh, a hundred percent. I mean, your tell all will be incredible at some point. (laughs) You'll help me write it. But like, so back to like your, you know, self-confidence and do you think that it's changed as as you've gotten older? Like how, how has your relationship with yourself changed since that 25 year old version of you? I think it's more honest. Mm -hmm. I think that was posturing. I think that was projection. I think that was like faking it till you make it kind of thing. Yeah. That was like a little bit of an arrogance. Yeah. Underneath like a very pained person. Yeah. Super Mm -hmm. hurt. I think I was really, I mean, listen, all I ever wanted was a chance to be great. Right. Yes. And to be included and you know, I felt like I'm passionate. I'm smart. I'm I'm really hard worker. Mm-hmm. Um, I could be a lot of things if someone just gave me a shot. You know, and and you know, I craved mentorship like deeply. And so I think, I think that time was mostly forced mm-hmm. energy versus now. It's I can't explain it, but I'm so much more at peace of like what's not for me. It's like a humility happens, right? So it's like you have great loss, you have great growth, you have lots of failures. Some mm-hmm. of your failures are super public. You don't always get what you want. You know, you hurt people that you care about. Like you, you just, you're just kind of human and you make mistakes. And so up. I think, yeah, right. You get yeah. banged up. And I think somehow, I think if you kind of go through that process with grace mm-hmm. emerges on the other side is a, a version of yourself that you're kind of at peace with, mm-hmm. which is kind of like where I would say I'm at today now. Yeah. Yeah. When did you get your first shot? You felt like By the late 20s, I'm sitting in meetings with people that I've like looked up to for my life, right? Yeah, yeah. They're not talking to me. They're not like (laughs) addressing me, but they're talking at me. Yes. And they're they're directing things like in a direction that I can like grab, you know, like I'll do this and I'll do that. Mm -hmm. And I'm like raising, you know, I'm like doing the like, I'll I'll do the thing that like nobody wants to do at that point I was just like earnest as all hell yeah I'd sort of figured out like okay I can't get in the music industry so I'll I'll get I'll be I'll work with brands and I'll convince the brands that I have relationships in the music industry Mm. such that they want to work with me to get brilliant music industry brilliant (laughs) that's brilliant I think by my late 20s I felt like okay I, I know I know where the doors are. I'm not mm-hmm. going to, I don't know how to get in those doors. Right. But, but like, boy, did I, like, when I think back to that person, I'm like, man, you like actually thought it was as simple as getting through that door. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, how naive. 
Yeah. Like you thought it was about getting in that door. Like, wow. <laughs> the monsters you... are on the other side of that door. You know, are you someone that like, um, holds a lot of your self-worth in your career? I used to be. Used to be. When did that change? COVID. Yeah. <laughs> I think that that is true for a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people. COVID has given me the freedom to just like not think about it the same way. Yeah. When did you start to feel comfortable in your skin for the first time? I'm still working on it. I know. And me too. It's, it's, I feel like it's just constant. It's a work in progress kind of thing. I'm still working on it. I think every day I wake up and I think, I wish I was like this. I wish mm-hmm. I was like that. I wish I could feel so good to hear you say that. Feel this, do this. I wish I was doing this more. I wish I was doing that more. And I think that voice is really unproductive and mean. So I'm trying to like, I don't want to say tune that voice out, but I'm trying to figure out like where the source of that voice is coming from. Same. It's easy to mistake ambition for self-abuse in a way. Totally, totally. Or like Mm self-awareness. You know, like sometimes I'm like, okay, like, is this my intuition? Is am I supposed to listen to this negative self-talk? And then sometimes I'm like, this self-talk is so abusive. It's like, how do you distinguish the two? You know? It's a fine line. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's a fine line. And I think it's tougher. I think it's tough for everybody. I think it's, I think it's really tough on women. Mm -hmm. Are you a perfectionist? Yes. Yeah. I think it's hard on us perfectionists. Yes. I mean, I think like that perfection, I mean, it's hard on the people around us too. Yes. Yes. It's hard on your team. It's hard on my spouse. It's hard on my son. It's hard on my every, you know, my friends. Like I'm, you know, I think coming to terms that like that perfection addiction is not something that you're that's easy on the people that you're supposed to be taken care of. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So what, like, what's something that kind of knocked your confidence in the past five years? I mean, COVID has tossed my company into like a free fall. That has been really rough. Yeah. I think that's been the worst. Yeah. How do you cope with things like that? Like both in healthy ways or not healthy ways? I mean, I think you cry. Mm-hmm. It's important. It's an important step. <laughs> I think step. you mourn, you know? I think you try to get to a point where you can have, like, objective thoughts that are not led with, like, your ego, if that makes any sense. I think you pray. Yeah. I think you call someone else to see how the fuck they're doing. Mm-hmm. To get out of your own head. Yeah, I think like when I find myself there, I'm like, this is not about you. I, I tend to like get in the ring with like really like heavyweight personalities. And also, I, I feel like that's <laughs> definitely true. <laughs> People that I'd be like, oh, I don't want to fuck with that because that scares the shit out of me. You're like, yeah. let's go. No, I mean, I I don't know that I would do that again. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's not recommended and it definitely hurts. Mm-hmm. I think think I would choose differently next time. Mm-hmm. I would choose. In what way? I think when you're coming at success through the lens of like all this romanticized rejection, mm-hmm. you know, like you think you've got to really like push and kind of shove and 
just like kind of push yourself through it. I think leaning back, taking your time, observing what's going on, walking away for what's not for you, mm. you know, humility, self-awareness, like, and it's like, I kind of look at it like, how are things impacting people in your life? Mm-hmm. Like, are they happy with these choices? Like, are, is this kind of like working out? Or are you like just so consumed that you're unable to see when something is just potentially toxic? So mm-hmm. yeah, I have gotten into some interesting <laughs> I'm dead. I'm I dead. love it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Listen, I, 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 I'm living to tell the story of another day. Yes. So that's all you can be grateful for. Yes. Like in a year where people have lost, lost their life, like the mm-hmm. amount of friends I've had who've lost their parents. And like every single person I know has been dealt a big, bold plate of humility because like no one has has been able to escape that like maybe we were just doing this kind of all wrong yeah 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 do you think like you know you were in a lot of toxic work relationships before this that you didn't really know or did you know you know what I think I think that I was I think that I lacked the I don't want to call it confidence but more mm. like um I was really afraid to quit. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I was afraid to like walk away from something that was like afraid to lose. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, but more than like, I'm not a quitter as a human. Like that's just not my, I'm not like a person who quits things. I'm like, I've never had an easy time leaving something incomplete. Right. Right. Back to that perfectionist. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sitting in a therapy session. I don't know if you're aware. (laughs) You know what? I I read um my therapist had me read this um Al-Anon book. And I had never I'm like, well, I'm not an alcoholic, so like why would I read this well, Al-Anon book? It's for like book? it's for, for like friends and family of, of addicts. Totally. But of yeah. course I'm like full yes, judging. Yes. Of right? course, yes. I'm like just judging, right? Yeah. And so she got me this she got me this book and it was called Survival to Recovery. Love it. And it talks about workaholics and perfectionists Mm -hmm. and like that being a function of you know living in an environment that may have had some like unhealthy behavior going on in it Mm -hmm. like in your childhood you mean or yeah yeah right okay yeah my childhood and so I was like oh my god like my entire life I've like bred this identity that I'm like I'm strong I'm tough I'm resilient I'm Teflon Mm -hmm. I I can't be stopped I can't quit and I'd never in my whole life, that whole identity was something I was like so proud of. Mm-hmm. And then I read this book and I was like, holy shit, this is just like actually an expression of like trauma. Right. Like how hurt I am. And so- no, I relate with that 150 <laughs> percent. Yes, like, this is this is just my trauma working. This is, yes. this is. And then I had this whole thing of like, oh, my God, like, what if I'm not right? What if, I do- what if I'm like, if I don't like to work like who am I? Yes. Like, what am I if I'm not an award and a list in a mm. running a company? And so I think, was I in toxic relationships? Yeah, I think I had like, you know, I think I'd overworked myself. I think I had overworked people in my life. And I think I had put myself, I'd signed up to something I didn't fully have. Like, I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, our instincts 
our peripheral instincts kick in and you know something's off and it's not right. Mm-hmm. But you can't exactly put your finger on what or how or why. And sometimes it takes a global pandemic for right. you to kind of see that, <laughs> totally. like, you know, maybe you need to, like, reevaluate some of the things that you're thinking about. Yeah. And also maybe the healthiest thing to do sometimes is to, like, let things evolve into something else. And so, um, yeah, I I definitely wouldn't go back to, like, pre-COVID time. Yeah, no, me neither. Me neither. <laughs> like I, but I think that's I would, a great thing. I would never push a button to go back to, like, December of 2019. No, no. But uh, how do, how is the way that you approach work now different? You know, mm-hmm. like, do you think that you were running away from something and, like, that's why you stayed busy or, like, you're running away from yourself, kind of? Um... I don't know if it's like I was running away per se. I think I wasn't, I wasn't giving myself the time and space to do it in a way that I could be happy or, or right. That I could, that I could essentially do it better. Right. It didn't have to hurt. It didn't have to hurt. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that, that has given me a lot of perspective because again, it's like, the humility to like, kind of look at yourself and be like, wow, like, I don't know that I, you like, you get to like, kind of reevaluate how you're doing something. And it's like, how am I as a spouse? How am I as a parent? How am I as a friend? How am I as a family member? And so I think you have to like, you kind of look at all that and you're like, okay, am I like delivering on my potential here? Mm -hmm. And am I happy? Am I like happy with how I'm showing up? And so if you're not present, if you can't come through, what's the opportunity to kind of reset that conversation? And so like, yeah, I think, listen, being an entrepreneur is not for the faint of heart. I call it an occupation. It's an, it's, it is a bit of an occupational hazard. I don't think people talk about mental health as it relates to founders and entrepreneurs as much as they should. Right. Like if you're an astronaut, you're in therapy. If you're like a surgeon, you're like in therapy. If you're like a lawyer, they want you to go to certain hours of like, you know, education on alcohol abuse, because that's Mm. like something, you know, even dentists. Right. Yeah. It's like you're an entrepreneur. You're just let loose in the wild on your own, on your own. Yeah. And I, I think most of us are kind of, um, you know, we all have trauma. So I think like mm-hmm. having better skill set and tools to um, evaluate, you know, the way that you're impacting others and yourself. Yeah, I think that's like an important opportunity. That's like a that's like a, a opportunity I'm super grateful for. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Like, it sounds like you've really taken quarantine as like a self-reflective, like opening of Pandora's box that kind of like you've never touched before. Right. Of self-reflection. I mean, <clears throat> it's so funny. Like I, I really thought that this part of my life would come later in life. Yes. Yeah. I understand that. But like, don't be involved in things with people that like, don't share your vision, your mm-hmm. value systems. Like, mm-hmm. I think that like all of us kind of skirt around these things because you think you have to or you want to or it's the right thing to do but like ultimately like it like as a human like you always want to be responsible but then 
you have to choose situations where like you can actually look yourself in the mirror and respect like who you're being in that situation. Yes. And if you find that like you're in a situation that you can't look yourself and respect the way that you're you're being in that situation, then you probably need to make different choices. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Do you compare yourself to other women often? I compare myself mostly to men. Uh Uh-huh. And like, how, what's your relationship like with that these days? That's hard. I know. (laughs) I know. So do you have to stop looking at people's Instagrams? Like what helps you cope with that? I mean, FOMO is like an extension of narcissism, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) <laughs> that's the quote that end the podcast now it's true you know so it's You're like right. I try to just like it's like I'll, you don't know what's going on with someone you don't know what they're dealing with mm-hmm. you don't know like what's up with their family or I mean like I was talking to someone that like if you looked on Instagram like they look like they are like killing it private estate in Hawaii all the things Lambos and then you know, I just, it's a friend of mine. So I'm like DMing and they're like, Oh, like been here for the past five months because my child is dealing with an illness and like, we haven't talked about it. And this person's child is five years old. And it's Mm -hmm. like, you don't know, like no idea. Yeah. Like who are you to assume that like what you see on social media is even accurate. Mm -hmm. Do you mean? Yeah. When did you start to like have that perspective? I mean, when I slept in my own bed for like three weeks in a row. Yeah. (laughs) That'll do it. That'll do it. Listen, I think pre-COVID, the entire world was like spinning towards an access of frenzied power, productivity, Mm. this list and that list. And who, like, how many meetings did you have today? And how many deals did you do? And like, everyone was just busy culture. Everyone has some deck with 40 million numbers in it. And my growth is this and my growth is that. It makes me sweat just talking about it. (laughs) Everyone was spinning towards this access. At the end of the day, like, I don't know that it was sustainable. Clearly it wasn't. Because like the wall that people hit during COVID was kind of like surreal. Totally. You know? A hundred percent. Now, like, have people prospered? Is Amazon killing it? Like, all these cryptos more than it ever was. Yes. 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 Obviously, nothing is ever Mm -hmm. one-sided. But even in success, people are sitting there thinking differently about their success than they were two years ago. I think there's, like, a different human responsibility to each other, to our families, to yourself. Mm -hmm. And so I think... At the end of the day, you know, everyone's kind of just going through processing. We all want to, I mean, I want to, I like the concept of being a successful business person, but I think there's plenty of ways to think about how to achieve that. That's not just like one way. Can you elaborate on that a little more? I think that like, if you're a really creative person, there's lots of ways to achieve success. I'm a lot more private probably than I used to be mm. of the things that I'm passionate about and the things I'm into. I'm a lot more private yeah. about the things that I'm into. Yeah. I think that I've lived like a very public life for the past five years. So I'm feeling a little less interested in that, a little more interested in perhaps it's like uh, just doing the work mm. and and experiencing the learnings of that work as you go along. You know, I've had mentors suggest that in the past and 
and I couldn't really fully grasp like why they were saying that, mm-hmm. but they were, they were all older and wiser and they must've been through some version of this previously. And so now I'm just kind of reimagining like, what does success look like? What mm. does um, achievement look like? And, and, and more importantly, like what's the mark you want to leave on the world? Like, how do you want people to feel? Yes. I, okay. That's, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Cause that is the perfect place that, I mean, that's unbelievable. I love that. So something I've always been pretty curious about with you is, you know, how you came out and what that experience was like for you, because I know you're the first to do a lot of things and you also make room for a lot of other people, you know, which is awesome. Um, But can you kind of set the scene for like how you grew up, you know, who your parents were, like, what was the environment like that you grew up in? You know, my parents are, you know, they came here in the late 60s and 70s. You know, I think they would consider themselves pretty modern, pretty American. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's why they moved here. That's why they stayed here. Mm-hmm. Like, did you speak Farsi in your house? You mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we spoke Farsi in my house. Um, my dad's a chemical engineer. My mom at the time was a chemist. Um, that's so cool. But, but I was... I think they knew I was gay before I knew I was gay. Mm. It, like, I wasn't, like, overly, like, s- s- I don't know, like, sexual or, like, I was, I, like, like, I wasn't thinking about sexuality. I was just more, more thinking, like, I want to wear boys' clothes. So when do you think that started? Like, what age? Like, immediately. Like, all I ever wanted to do was, like, look like Billie Eilish. You yes. know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> Me too. Like, I mean, I understand that. <laughs> Like, I was like, Billie Eilish, that's, you know, like, when I first saw Billie Eilish, I was like, what the fuck? Where was this when I was yes. a kid? Like, yeah, I wanted to, like, wear corduroys and hoodies and mm-hmm. And would your parents let hair. you? My dad would. My mom would not. She'd, like, force you into dresses and... She would. And I had, like, I would break out into, like, like, there would be, like, hives all up and down my arms and under my armpits and full-blown like strawberries wow like just your skin like literally my skin would just be covered in and um that's like what it did to your nervous system oh my god i just felt like i was like i'm gonna just be i'm gonna die of embarrassment if someone sees me in this fucking dress right right so you like physically repelled it like Oh, I mean, like I'd start throwing up on myself. Wow. I think I had my first, I think I had my first anxiety attack when I was like in like second grade. Wow. Like wow. a, like a actual hyperventilating anxiety attack. That's traumatic. It was terrible. Like I, I remember it like it was yesterday. No way. Like in, at, at school, just like. I remember it exactly. I remember the exact dress. I remember what was on it. I remember going to the nurse's station and I remember my dad coming and picking me up. Mm. And did you tell him like, it's because mom put me in this dress? He knew. He knew. He knew. knew. But he was just like, you can't wear these red corduroys to school every day. Right. Right. So your parents were pretty conservative or like, was your mom more conservative or? I think my mom... She's just like couldn't be with it. Mm-hmm. You know yeah, what I mean? Like she's yes. gonna have like a butch daughter. Like she could not like process what that would mean at all. And is it 
like primarily about what other people think? I think so. Yeah. And like, what did I do wrong? And like, uh-huh. how's this, you know, how, what will they say? What will they think? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think being gay saved me, mm-hmm. saved my life and also caused so much anguish and pain. Right. So right. it's like a double-edged sword. It's like the gain, my gayness, my queerness is like what prompted love of like art and music mm. and film and cinema and right. Like, cause it's like, you want to, where could you find yourself represented? You could find yeah. yourself represented in music, comic books mm-hmm. in, right. Like there was lots of characters like me yeah, in a music video or in a indie film or you'd see David Bowie and you'd be like, Oh, like I'm fucking mm. a freak like that. Mm. Like that makes sense. Like I understand myself that resonated with you. A thousand percent. I get that, you mm-hmm. know? But you didn't have the words for it as a child. Right? Not at all. Yeah. No, but I, but like, I knew, like, man, Prince, right? Yes. Like, yes. you're literally like, okay, what, whatever, like, that guy is, mm-hmm. that's like what my situation is. Like, right. and I couldn't, like, figure out, I was like, I just know that I should, like, be around, like, whoever's, dealing with him yeah right <laughs> so yeah because they probably don't put him in dresses that he doesn't want to be totally. in. yeah totally no clearly i mean prince is like he's wearing lace and leather right. and right i'm like just want to look like annie lennox in a mm-hmm. suit you know mm-hmm. totally and so i think that my mom like hated that about mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. absolutely hated it yeah that's so hard that's so hard so when you you know, like from breaking out in hives and then ultimately, I think you said, I heard once that, or that you said you were 13, that you like really knew, is that more like from your sexuality? You were like, it was kind of confirmed. I think I, I think like my best friend was like, you know, I love you, but like, I don't love you like that. And I was like, I don't love you like that either. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh God, like I have a crush on my friend. Yeah. It's like so weird right right um and then I like tried to date guys but was like totally unsuccessful like throughout high school and stuff ish did you know like was was coming out like a thing that you knew that you'd ultimately have to do or was it like my parents already kind of know like unspoken or did you have to like at a family dinner be like hey guys I I did not tell my parents until I was 30 no way yeah but they must yeah. have known, right? They they knew, but like, you know, 15, 16, 17. I mean, I just mostly thought about like, how can I kill myself to be not like, how do I not? Because like, they're not going to pay for your call it. Like, oh I was like, God. I'm totally. That, like, was, I'm, that was like understood that if you like, oh, yeah, went down this oh, yeah, road, yeah, yeah. like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I was like, oh, I'm totally fucked. Like, I'm. Yeah. I have no, like, I'm stuck. Wow. You know? Right. Which is why I, I emancipated when I was, like, you know, 16 and a half, 17 years old. Like, legally? Yeah. Wow. Wow, I had yeah. no idea. Wow. Yeah, I was like, I'm going to break up with them before they break up with me. Right. <laughs> no, that's that's real. 
Yeah, That's no, it was real. Ter- I was very terrified. And I like prayed that I would, it would change and then yeah. I wasn't. And yeah, yeah like I, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be gay. I was like, well, what's going to happen to me? I'm going to be like, you know, like a homeless drug addict. Like that's yeah. what your parents think, right? Wow. Like you're just like, right. you know, your like gay identity had been portrayed as such a toxic, diseased, yeah, you know, like HIV, mm. right? Like it was, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like totally. there wasn't, there wasn't like Ellen and Portia, and, right? It wasn't like as... there wasn't mm-hmm. no like Tim Cook wasn't married and right. running the most successful company in the world, and like yes, there was no you know representation I mean? like, at all. Zero zip. There was no none of that. So how did you not think? How did you not believe them? You know that like you would end up on the streets and like what was that fire in you? I mean, whatever Freddie Mercury had, like I had the same vibes. (laughs) Yeah, that's incredible. I love that so much. That's like like I was like oh like yeah yeah queen. So you were like really by yourself from seventeen on. Yeah. And your siblings, like, kind of went with your parents, you know, believed what they believed, kind of, or? No, I think my sisters both, like, weren't supportive. But, like, my parents just didn't have the language for it. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't even, like, a talking to them. You know, there wasn't even, like, a fight to be had. Like, did you even broach the subject with them? They would say, like, are you a lesbian? And, like, that word didn't seem right either. Mm. I was like, oh, no. Like, I'm definitely not a lesbian. Explain that to me. I mean, a lesbian just, like, felt so, like, you know, like, when Britney Spears and Madonna kiss, like, you're like, those are lesbians. Like, like fetished, almost. Like, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Right? And yes. I was like, I'm not gonna, yes. like... Yes. <laughs> I, I'm not gonna be on the promenade, right. make it out with... Like, I wasn't... Because right. I'm, I'm, like, pretty shy in that way. Yeah. I'm, like, kind of reserved in that way. Yeah. I'm kind of traditional in that way. Like, I'm not, like orgies right. and, like you know like and that's I kind love that of that makes it, you traditional you're not into orgies no I fully like, understand that's, that's how like the gay lifestyle was portrayed right totally. it's like oh you're gay like you're gonna like go and like fuck a hundred million people and I was like oh like I'm totally kind of a prude in that way like and so my identity, you know, and I didn't have the words for it at that time were like, I'm more butch. I'm more queer. Like I'm, I think that like butch and queer identity was something I didn't really fully understand until I was like mid to late twenties. I think I read the book. I read this book, Stone Butch Blues, which is kind of like one of the most iconic books within the category. Um, and there was a book called The Well of Loneliness. And it kind of told the story of like masculine leaning queer and gay characters, but that like were kind of like, you know, they were gay, but they were like more masculine and their their spouses or girlfriends were more like feminine. And I was like, oh, that that kind of like makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's like I'm not Britney and Madonna. So like, am I a lesbian? I don't <laughs> That's so interesting because like now, you know, thank God we're moving to much more fluid, you know, gender norms and things. But like back then, it's probably like was transgender even a thought or like, oh, my God, transgender was not even close to a thought. Yeah. And if and if there was like trans people, they were like dying of AIDS, dying of HIV. So like 
I was like, oh, I'm also not trans. Like, I was like, I couldn't figure out like how to say it and have it sound like maybe I was going to have a life, you know? Yeah. So I think like every time I've been to a point where I'm like, fuck, I don't know. You know, like Missy Elliott Mm -hmm. would happen. Mm -hmm. And you're like, I'm whatever she is. Yes, like, yes, yes, yes. You know, or like Queen Latifah would happen. You'd be like, I'm whatever that is, right. you know? Right, And now you classify that as like butch primarily? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how they classify themselves, yeah, but I but know that so. they're not like, they're not wearing dresses, right? Right, right. no. And they're kind of like a vibe, mm-hmm. you know? I'll say. Um, and I was like, okay, yeah, like they're, that's like a really... I think Missy Elliott, when I, that's when I was like, oh man, like that is like such a cool expression of a She was such a badass. Yeah. She was such a badass. She was in charge. She was rapping. Totally. Like, you know, like people like MC Light, like all the early female MCs. Like I was like, yes, Mm. I identify with this. Like for sure, Queen Latifah. Like I was like, oh I'm definitely, that's my vibe. Yes. That is Whatever that is, I am. Yeah, no, I <laughs> totally. get that. Like, I think when I saw, what was um, Set It Off, where she's like, that, I was like, that's me. Yes. <laughs> I love that so much. It's so, I mean, I get it. I get it. I mean, those are incredible women, you know? But so like you went through your whole 20s, essentially, without talking to your parents or your family, right? I, I didn't talk to them much. Did you go for holidays or like what what did it look like? Holidays here and there. But I was very much in the closet, very ashamed. You know, shame is like a you were asking, like, if there's anything that I like Im- want to like impart on people is how dangerous shame, how dangerous and divisive shame can be. Yes. In your I'm life. like one more time for the people in the back. Yes. I think shame is so dangerous. Oh, it's poison. It is so And I think people dangerous. people people smell it in you mm-hmm. and they breed on it yes. and they they yeah. use that to their own advantage cuz they know that you kind of hate yourself. Yes. Yes, which is like so evil if you think about it because like we are such a shaming culture. Like that's what we do to each other because we know that it's like everyone's Achilles heel, you know? Like if you don't have yeah. shame, you don't have a capacity for human connection, you know? So and and I think like the other side of that is had I not had that shame, I probably wouldn't have like poured my guts into BeautyCon the way I did. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like all of that push for like gender expression and racial expression and economic inclusivity and like programming and building that thing the way that it was mm-hmm. in terms of like this cultural beacon and this cultural kind of juggernaut it became. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it would have ever become that that mm-hmm. you know like I'm, i mean people still you know people like freak out for the brand and and like kind of what it's meant to them and i don't think i don't think it would have become all of that had i not been able to like push all of that kind of shame yes into into that yeah you know that everyone like that so many other people are feeling that way so you're like let me yeah. be that person like to save at least one other person you know from a lot of yes or lots in of. your case or a lot, lot of yes but yeah, I th- like, so do you think your parents inflicted a lot of shame upon you? Yeah, I think so. I don't think they meant to, but I think they did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you would see them like throughout those years, like before you came out to them at 30, 
was it just like, hi, how are you? Like kind of those exchanges or like, were you able to have a relationship with them that just didn't mention your sexuality or? I would omit sexuality and just talk about work, right? I think that's what was breeding the workaholic behavior, right? It's like, I can talk to them about work. We're going to talk about work. So I'd work, work, work. Like I'll make them proud in this way. Yeah, I'm starting another company and I'm Mm -hmm. investing in another company and I'm like building another this and I'm building another that. And I think- I think so it's like that shame overdrove this wanting to be loved and acknowledged. And then out of that, you like overwork yourself and burn yourself out and you make decisions to, you know, you get involved in business situations that uh, any sane person probably would not. Yes. (laughs) And then all of a sudden you're like a very, uh, not best version of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And then you're like, damn, what are you doing? No, shame is so toxic like that. And it will, I mean, that's, it's amazing that you were able to, you know, use it to, as as a tailwind, so to speak, you know what I mean? Like you you use it to propel you instead of just like, cause shame can be so silencing, you know? It can be, and it often is. And I think it can also be distracting because I think you can act out when you have a lot of shame. Yes. You can like really act out and create negative. Because you're angry. Yeah. You're angry, Mm -hmm. right? Like, Mm -hmm. that's the thing is like, people will be like, oh, she's so mad. She's so angry. And it's Mm. like, and I think I like, I'm like, I really, like, I really don't tolerate that when people say that. Now I'm like, you know what that is? That's like, it's like actually just like really sad. Yeah. You know? Yes. And years of hearing that who you are is fundamentally wrong in some way. But I think, I think that you can pour that into something. I started a philanthropy called Beauty United this year, right? And so like yeah. United, you know, like over 80, 80 of the most like sort of notable leaders within wellness and beauty. That's amazing. Um, working on a whole bunch of new projects that I'm excited about. Come to terms with the things I'm not excited mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. At peace with who wants to reconcile and at peace with who doesn't want to reconcile. And so I think shame is one of those things where you like you kind of have to work on it every day. Mm-hmm. Because it can be potentially the most dangerous thing in your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. So did you kind of, like, were you at a point when you were 30 that you were like, fuck it, I can't take this anymore. I'm going to come out to my parents, like, because you were ready to rid yourself of the shame? Or was it like, were you angry? Like, what was the emotion behind it? And how did you come out to them? I knew I wanted to have a family. Mm. I had met Roya when I was in my late 20s but you weren't dating yet we were not dating yet but I knew that I wanted a partner and I knew that I wanted children and I sort of was like I need you guys to like I don't want to be in a dynamic where I'm with someone that I really care about and I have to explain to them as a grown-ass adult my parents don't know this right because that's really that's hurtful to someone else, especially someone else that doesn't understand the culture of my family. Right. right. So I, yeah, just told them and they like did exactly what I thought they would do. Which was, <laughs> are, are you sure, you know, mm. there's therapy for that. Mm. What did we do? Became all about them. 
And I kind of just like let them have their yeah. feelings. Yeah. And they kind of had their feelings for the next few years. Right. But your was your healing contingent upon their reaction or did you kind of like prepare yourself for that? I felt fine. Like I was like, you're uh, like, y- you guys should get some support. Yeah. For this. <laughs> yes. And you're like, it's a you problem, not a me problem. Yeah. I think at that point I was like, dude, you guys need to like figure this out. Right. And the irony of it all is how close they are to Roya. Wow. And how much they love my son. Right. Did it take the birth of Neve to kind of. It took that baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, they're magic that way. <laughs> I it took swear. A, it took a chubby little Persian boy. Oh, he's so cute. He's so cute. To really uh, put them in their place. Yeah. You're like, you want to see this baby? Like, come correct or don't come at all. Oh, no. They were like, that like brought them fully to their knees. Right. And he looks just like you. That's the thing. They're yeah. twisted on it. Yeah. They're real. Like, <laughs> yeah. They're just like, uh. Like, as like, you're sitting here in front of me, like, there have been seven times in my head. I'm like, oh, my God, she looks exactly like me right now. It's so like, funny. I know. It's amazing. Like, they, and it's, it's like, that's how God works, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's just like the karmic law of how the universe can work at times. It's like, of course, I end up with a person who ends up having my you know, my, my biological child. Mm -hmm. And like, he literally looks like my doppelganger. Yes. Yes. And of course he's like three and wears tutus and dances to Billie Eilish and loves Sia more than life and watches Sia videos and like Maddie Ziegler videos. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and it's like, so like you're raising him like purely like no gender norms, none of that bullshit. I love that so much. I mean, he he's definitely like, I'm a boy. I'm like, cool. But he's also like, I like Sia. Yeah, that's Gen Z. And I love it. He's full on Gen Z. And I think he's, you know, like, I don't know what he wants to be, but I, whatever it is, I'm cool with it. Mm-hmm. So, you know? Yeah, I love that. I mean, I feel like you are just the best parent ever. I, I'm. I'm a good parent. I'm a good mom. Roya is a the best, best, best mom. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like fun time. Right. I, that's, I mean, hey, everyone needs a fun time parent. You know? I am the fun time parent. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that. Does he call you mom or mo- what does he call you? Just Moshe. Just Moshe. And Roya's mom. He, Roya's mom, mommy. Mm-hmm. And when he's mad, he calls her Roya. <laughs> And he calls me Moj. I We couldn't figure out a name. We went through all kinds of iterations. Mm-hmm. And like, I've been, my own identity is something that I've been sort of just like thinking through. And mm-hmm. he just calls me Moj. He calls me Moji. Oh, and I that feels the... very, so my grandma cute. also called me Moji. And like, oh. it feels very natural. It feels very appropriate you know i know he means it with the most amount of love and respect oh a hundred percent he's so lucky you know like but that's something that i think is really pertinent to a lot of people is like i think like especially in your 20s you get so hung up on you know what how your parents fucked you up and the trauma there and all of that and and at one point you kind of just have to turn around and, and face forward and be like okay i have to make my own family now and like, what are the values that I'm going to impart on, you know, my son? 
So like, how did you and Roya kind of, are you making it up as you go? Did you have a conversation? Like, I mean, you're, you're with someone. Yeah. Right. Yes. So like when you meet that person, you guys seem pretty serious. Yes. We're pretty serious. (laughs) We're going steady. Yes. You guys seem real steady. Yes. I think when you meet that person, you kind of are like, you know what? I could break away from my own situation with my family to create a family with you. For sure. For sure. And and you kind of nest and you kind of imagine and you kind of create. Mm-hmm. And like Roy is an academic and a professor and a scholar. And she's really cerebral, but also re- a really deep vibe and soulful. And so I knew when we got together, I'm like, okay, this is going to be my family. We're going to be our own unit and we're going to raise our son and he's going to be fucking fun yeah. and whatever he is, you and know, he is. We just like all we want for him is to like maintain the essence of who he is because we think his intelligence can always be developed, but you can never, ever, ever fix that early fracturing that happens to people. You can't undo that. No. Like therapy, books, blah, 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 blah. Right. You cannot undo that. And so like our, our job as we see it is to maintain that level of safety. Mm hmm and confidence and love inside of him such that like what he decides to do or the things that he decides that he wants to pursue, that he feels like he can exercise his intellect and not be so afraid of failure and rejection. Yes. Just like that fundamental knowing, like I am loved. I am enough. Is like, I tell him that's what I tell him every night before he goes to bed, I lay by his crib and I tell him you are safe you are loved. Oh, I have the chills again. I yeah. Love that. And, and and I make him like actually repeat it. Mm, he's so lucky. He'll be like, I'll tell him, I'll say, Neve, say, say I'm safe. And he goes, Neve is safe. Oh, oh. And it's like, I think that's kind of what matters, right? Yes. Yes. It's like kind of crazy that like, that's unheard of. You know what I mean? Like just saying that to your kid over and over again, because you can't take that away from them. And you're right. You can build things like intelligence and other things, but you cannot. You can hire a tutor. Mm -hmm. You can like take extra classes. You can like do brain exercises to like speed up your brain to read faster. You can change the dynamics of how you learn, but you can't, it's much more difficult to shape someone's sense of love and confidence mm-hmm. inside themselves. Yes. And that's why I kind of go back to my grandmother. Right. 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 Which was like, she was this person that was like, you are loved. And mm-hmm. no matter what, like you will be okay. That no matter what is everything that no matter what, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I think COVID has made me have to remember that I actually had that no matter what to return Mm -hmm. to. So I've mostly been focusing on coming back to that value system. Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's really beautiful. So like, I know you say that like it helped your parents accept, you know, your life and they love Roya and they love Neve. What was your forgiveness of them? Like, did that come as like by becoming a parent, you know, how did that manifest itself? The, the kindest thing you can ever do for another human being is give them the opportunity to evolve and change. Yes. And something that we don't let anyone do. We are real jerks about it. Mm-hmm. When I think about the relationships that have hurt me the most, it's by people who have refused to give me an opportunity to a change and evolve. Mm-hmm. That is 
almost more inhumane to me than like any other thing you can think about. I couldn't agree more. Totally. Because humans have a huge capacity to change. Mm-hmm. And often are filled with the desire to do so. I think our DNA is somewhat programmed yeah. for that. Yeah. We we are programmed for optimism. Right. Right. And so to tell someone like, no, I don't think you can be anything different. That's that's fucked up. And so like as much as I parents hurt me, I'm not willing to do that to anybody, much less them. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? That makes so much sense. Yes. I think that that's an awesome thing. I think I read like enough Eckhart Tolle at some point. <laughs> I was like, had read like a new earth. And yes. I was like, you know what? Like you can't have all this like love and compassion for everyone else and like not have it for your parents who are, you know, whatever their trauma is had right. prevented them from being able to like deal with like your ass. Right. Right. <laughs> totally. Like if they'd known better, they would have done better. But like you have to just like have compassion for like that's where they were at. I think so. But it's true. If you want that back, like I think that no, a lot of people just want it. You know, they're not willing yeah. to give it to other people. Yeah. I mean, I think you're a giver in energy. Like you get like you you're the kind of person who like you're regenerated by giving. Yeah. That's my sense oh, of you. Thank you. Yes. And I, I thought you were meaning the collective you, but no, thank you. I appreciate it. No, like, like you as a person, thank Jade. You. like, yes. And, and for so sure. like, for me, like I felt like, oh, I'm like more confident about myself by being able to give that. Definitely. Does Definitely. that make sense? That makes total sense. Everything you're saying, it's like giving me chills. So we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. So what's a topic or concept that you wish more women, like either in your industry or just in general, would be more open about with each other? I think women and women of color and moms need to like break out of this like uh, box of like shame. Mm -hmm. That's something that like I think everyone should just start being like, I have shame and this is what it's around. Yes. Um, And I think financial literacy You know, Mm -hmm. I think that we need to better understand the systems that we operate in. Mm -hmm. I think we have to feel more comfortable to ask questions. I think we have to be more interested in self-educating ourselves. I think we have to be willing to tell each other what's working, what's not working. You know, financial inclusion is the only way to have equality. Right. You know, women are still paid, you know, 53 cents on the dollar. So, crazy. you know, black, black women are paid 23 cents on the dollar. You know, Latin women are paid 27 cents on the dollar. Women of color are only like, like when I think about my fundraising and the things I did with BeautyCon, it's like 2% of all funding go to women. Mm. 0.02% go to women of color. 0.000 two percent go to women of color who are gay wow so i think so much of that anxiety and that stress came from knowing that i was like that point zero 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 two percent yes understandably and it just like i think that that's the kind of thing that we need to start to discuss normalize talk to each other talk to each you know mental health is a real thing amen and i think that we need to just get more interested in really fighting for financial inclusion and financial literacy. Because when I think of like all of my guy friends, like they are hella financially literate. Right. It comes from shame, you know, that we don't, you know. 
So what's a way that you're like, we talked about therapy, like what's a way that you're working on yourself these days? Like, you know, like I talk about Al-Anon or like a new habit or a ritual or something that you're doing. I'm getting a lot of sleep. Mm. Was, is that new? A little bit. Yeah. I had really prided myself on a six hour a night kind of gal. Ooh, that's rough. Yeah. That's not helping anybody. No. no. Oh, it makes me feel sick to my stomach. Yeah, it wasn't good. Sleep, like probably like seven and a half hours, mm -hmm. you know, sleep every night. Yeah, I don't fuck with six hours of sleep. I am like an eight to 12 hour minimum for me to be a functioning human being. I started doing some kickboxing, which Ooh, I really like. Yeah. Um, I'm reading. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hanging out with my kid all the time. It's yeah. the best. And I'm like working on a ton of shit that I just like and with people that I like and with people that I know see me, get me, and also can have a healthy argument without mm -hmm. with me without it becoming like mean and yes. You know, like no one's going for the jugular. Right. That you can actually have like constructive real yes. Yeah. Yes. That you can like, you know be in a productive, but also just like working on really great stuff that like, you know, it's a, it's a myriad of like everything from like, I don't know, investment stuff to brands. And so I'm excited about that, but I'm also just like excited to have time to reflect yeah. on the past five years. Cause it has been, yeah. And like take your new lease on life for a spin. Exactly. Cause that was, that was like, a lot. Yeah. I'm like, I'm glad that there was divine intervention there. Cause I feel like that would have just led to a burnout. Right. Uh, I think it had already led yeah. to burnout. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think it had already burned out and just couldn't get off the ride. Yeah. 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 Sometimes you got to be forced off the ride. COVID. Yes. Yep. COVID. Exactly. So what's something that people that follow you on Instagram would be surprised to know? Um, I like cleaning. Hmm. That is that another COVID discovery or have you always been like that? I've always liked cleaning. Yeah. Little bit of a wannabe DJ. Okay. I didn't know that. That is a good thing that I mean that is a surprising yeah. thing. I oh, I think I'm I've really realized that I'm like a little bit I'm an empath, mm -hmm. right? Yes. I can definitely sense that. And I have become somewhat more introverted. Mm. Mm-hmm. In like the best way and like the most healthy way I feel. Yeah, I have to be alone yeah. more than I used to be and and need to be alone. I also think people would be surprised to know like things that used to bother me like just don't bother me anymore. Yeah. Is that like a result of therapy, you think, or just getting older? Yeah, I think it's just like older life. I think like depersonalizing so many things and, you know, just being like shit. Sometimes shit's like that. And mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm not as angsty as I used to be. Yeah. 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 I love that. Okay. Well, you yeah. are done. That's it. But is there any, where, what's your Instagram handle? What's like coming up for you? What can the people look for? I am um, a Moj on Instagram. Yes. I am living and breathing on the clubhouse these days. Oh yeah. That's, I've seen that. I got to come visit you on, it scares the shit out of me, but I'll be an observer. Clubhouse is my favorite. Yeah. It's the best. It's cool. It's a, it is really cool. It's where people are having those conversations that we talked about. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. And I like that a lot. A lot of women, a lot of women of color, Yeah, a lot of mindfulness discussions and a lot of great entrepreneurial 
opportunity, right? Yeah. Like I've met some amazing founders, been able to invest in some cool opportunities. Really? All through Clubhouse. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So it's, that's it's, it's like, it's really an intellectual space. Yeah. Much more so than Instagram, which is increasingly more vapid. And, and I think also like people have a good amount of body trauma. So <laughs> audio allows for yes. the ability to sink into a story. Yes. <clears throat> you know, right. absolutely. So I think, you know, it always comes back to the, to creative, right? Mm -hmm. Always comes back to makers and people who are doing stuff. And so, yeah, I really, so I will be on Clubhouse. You can follow me on Clubhouse, Instagram, and I have a bunch of new stuff that I'm working on. And yeah, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm like excited for the future. So I'm excited for your future. I feel like this, like you're in the best spot, you know, like I just, I feel like it's all up from here, you know? And even if it's not, We'll be fine. Exactly. 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 Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing like your experience and coming out and everything. Like I so appreciate it. And you've just I adore been you. a dream. I adore you right back. I adore you. And I can't wait for our hang soon. Yes. We've got to hang in real life without recording. Moj is someone you meet and can easily feel intimidated by because she's just this force and often says the things that most of us are too afraid to. But I loved this episode so much because we got to hear where that tough exterior actually came from. And it was years of pain. All the pain and the rejection and the trauma that she's carried as armor for all these years. And it's something that I think we all can relate to in some capacity, that so many things that make us strong and hard are actually rooted in pain. And what salvation and peace can come from pausing, looking in, and confronting those demons we've carried as armor. So before I started this podcast, I had no idea how much ratings and subscribing and all that helps so much. So if you like this episode, if you like this show in general, I would love if you left a comment or rated or whatever you feel like, but just please give me your feedback because it really is the only way we grow. And as I mentioned before, I just want to let you know of the phone number again, because I really want to talk to you guys. The number is 415-849-0299. We can talk about anything and everything. I would love to hear what you're liking about the show, what you want to hear more about, your own personal shame spirals, your anxieties, the thing that you won't even tell your best friend. Um, it's all anonymous and your secret is safe with me, but just please reach out and we can chat. So we made it. We're at the end. That's it. But I will talk to you guys on text or when you leave me a voicemail. And thank you so, so much for listening. You guys are the greatest. And I'll see you guys next time.